So goatscaping is exactly what it sounds like. It is landscaping goats. And so she said, listen, I can't lend you my goats because they are organic. And once they leave the property and come back, they wouldn't be organic anymore. But why don't you buy the ones that are done milking or are injured or don't have a purpose on my farm anymore? Yeah, so I was selected as one of the 10 2021 How I Built This Fellows, and the NPR put together this incredible network of mentors and speakers that helped myself and my fellows through this process of kind of really building an intentional, diverse, high-value, culturally aware business. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Iyer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Jennifer Ziegler, founder and CEO of Let's Go to Buffalo, changing the landscape one bite at a time. Jennifer joins us from Buffalo, New York. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So we have now goat yoga, goat hikes, goats for stress relief during exam week. Why are goats the animal of choice for these activities? Oh, that's so funny. I do not know why goats are trending in all these areas, but I too have noticed that it's definitely a trending animal. For our purposes, this is not something that's new. So when it comes to what we do, which is landscaping and removing invasive plants that we don't want, goats have been doing that for millennia. So we're kind of harnessing something very old and perhaps the goat yoga is something a little bit new. Is it the way they interact with human beings? I think that's a big part of it. Goats are very social animals. So they um, often people will be surprised. And I often hear folks say, oh, wow, this reminds me of my dog. Or they're just like a dog. Or they're kind of moody like a cat. They choose you, perhaps. And they're very intelligent. They really prefer to be around people. They are a domesticated livestock. So they've been working with us for many hundreds of years. And that makes them very social and just a lot of fun to be around. Could you explain to our listeners what is goatscaping? So goatscaping is exactly what it sounds like. It is landscaping goats. So instead of using pesticides or heavy equipment to remove problematic growth like an invasive plant or a weed or something that we don't need in an area, the goats will come in and eat that plant. And then in return, they leave us some natural fertilizer that increases biodiversity in the soil and does not allow that plant to regrow from the waste. So when a goat eats, they sterilize what they're eating, but they also boost the soil to allow native plants to compete. So it's a win-win for all. It's a win-win for everybody. How many goats do you have? So I have 16. We are growing very quickly because what we try to do is take out a herd of maybe seven or eight goats at a time, and they will then go out on a job for you know as long as we need to be there, and they'll eat through whatever vegetation the client is looking to have removed. So right now we have two herds that are out working full-time and we're expanding very quickly. And then we're also going to be franchising across the country. So we will also have herds that are going to be located in cities outside of Buffalo as well. So who is your typical customer? 
You know, it really varies. When we started out, we had a lot of parks that were interested and government agencies, municipalities that had large areas that had become overgrown or inaccessible. But what we found was when the pandemic hit and a lot of these institutions were shut down, college campuses, public spaces were closed. I think that you found a lot of families that were at home. They were stuck at home and they were more in touch with their own yards, their own environments. And during the pandemic, most landscaping companies that would be using equipment weren't allowed to operate in our area, but the goats were allowed to go out. And we found that a lot of our business switched over to residential and it's never really changed ever since the very beginning of the pandemic. We've had just a lot of interest for folks who are at home as well. I think a big piece of that also has to do with people coming to understand more about pesticides and people are looking for a more natural option. Do they chew through the whole foliage or can they just mow my lawn? Well, so they can mow the lawn. It would take a little longer. Goats are a browsing animal. They like to eat with their head up. They love bushes and brush and tall weeds. And we generally tell people they will eat anything from about six inches off the ground to about six feet off the ground. Because once they're on their hind legs, they're also very good at getting the stuff that's high up. Grasses are their last choice, but they will eat through grasses. If somebody wants a manicured lawn, though, I would recommend sheep instead of goats. Goats tend to get a lot of the brushier, denser stuff that we have a hard time getting rid of, things like pricker bushes and overgrown bushes. So the reason I asked is we don't fertilize our lawn, so we have to mow it more often because, you know, you want to keep the dandelions cut. Yeah, you know, and it's it's not, people don't understand that when they are putting those kinds of pesticides on the lawn, they're not discriminate. So those things are not just going after the grass or the weeds. They're also affecting all of the microbes and the fungi in the soil and the insects that are there and all the things that make it alive. They're all affected. So we try to veer away from that. Yeah. So you talked about municipality. Were you were they like mostly urban or rural? Suburban actually was our first foray into goatscaping locally. We worked with our local park system and it was our county park system. And, you know, I owe them so much gratitude because this was such a new practice in the area, but they were forward thinking. They're very conservation focused and they ran a pilot project with us back in 2019 before the concept had really taken off. And it was such a beautiful community event because it was a great way to introduce people to what we were doing. People were coming out to the parks in crowds. They were so excited to see this this new way of taking care of things. And they slowly watched the Creekside, which had become very overgrown by an invasive plant called Japanese knotweed. They watched it slowly day by day open up and gain access and see their park come back to being naturally accessible both to the local wildlife, but also to the people that were wanting to enjoy it. So it was a great collaboration. And I, you know, I always say the name is Let's Go Buffalo and Buffalo really does play a huge part in how we got started. It was people, it was a whole community wanting to try something new. So I'm recording this episode from Philadelphia and there are parts of Philadelphia, which are pretty unkempt, I should say. And I wish, this not like the brush that you would have, say, in your 
forest preserve or something. But still, it's really hard for somebody to get rid of all the plants which are growing in a vacant lot. Mm-hmm. Is there? Do you think that would be a good application for goatscaping or no? It is. And it's, stuff, it's something that we've done before is taking care of overgrown lots. So part of what makes what I'm trying to do new and different is the fact that we're taking this grazing concept and we're making it mobile and accessible for urban and suburban environments. So there are lots of goatscaping companies across the country, and many of them are ranch-based. So they're kind of based on a farm, and they might go out and release thousands of animals on a prairie or a mountainside. And what I find, because I live in a suburb right outside of a large city, I feel like, you know, this is a great practice, but that's not accessible for us. So What we have done with our bus unit is made it so that we can take that whole farm operation from job to job. So our bus is outfitted so that the back end of the bus is a living quarters for the goats and the front end of the bus is kind of a center for the herder to manage the job. So there's a toilet and a shower and a stove and a bed. So everybody's kind of self-contained. That unit makes it so that we can drive into a city, set up fencing around maybe the lot that you were describing, allow the goats to eat the plants that we don't want there. And they're also what I find so fascinating and and I try to explain to people is they're also leaving behind a waste that sometimes people are a little nervous about. They're saying, well, what happens to the poop? And I get really excited about that question because what's happening is that's going into the soils that have been so depleted by a lot of urban activities and actually giving some life back to those soils. So there's a multiple benefits there when the goats can come in. And this just makes it accessible to an urban environment. We can come in, let the goats out and eat, get them back on the bus, and we're on our way to the next job. So are you a farmer by profession? How did you (laughs) come about this awesome uh, idea and monetize it? Yeah. So I'm not a farmer by trade. I was, you know, kind of far into my career, which was in sort of a pseudo corporate environment. I was in a very large nonprofit and had been doing program development for many years. And I think what I was experiencing is what a lot of people experience maybe mid-career, which is you're working so hard for so long, kind of on that hamster wheel, going a mile a minute, day after day. And I had achieved such a great situation in my career, but I sort of took a moment and looked around and said, wow, I know I worked so hard to get here, but I actually don't really like the view. (laughs) you know." And I was thinking about so much as far as the environment is concerned and my connection to nature. And I was struggling with those two identities, you know, this career that I'd worked so hard to build, but then this call to nature in more natural ways. And what was that career that you left behind? I was working in employee benefits. Okay. So I was providing corporate benefits. And a lot of what we talked about for our clients was this concept of work-life balance, of which I had none. (laughs) So it was a little bit ironic. So one of the ways that I had tried to connect with the earth and with myself was through hobby beekeeping. And I had some hives that I set up on some vacant land that I had purchased um, for a very, very nominal amount. But I, I got so excited and so into it. And my thought was, I can support pollinators. I can spend this time outside. I can learn about the ecology of it. And my property was actually quite overgrown with plants that were very difficult to get through. So it was a lot of raspberries and brambles. And it was recommended to me to run goats through there as an alternative to pesticides, which I found very fascinating. I had never heard of anything like that. I had not really been around a goat except maybe at the fair. And so I tried calling around to see if I could maybe borrow some goats. And pretty much everybody I called either told me that was ridiculous or they politely told me that's not what they do. And it was just not an option near me. 
I did end up hooking up with a local organic dairy farm, which is a local woman-owned business called Alpine Maid. And Carrie Plank runs that farm. She makes goat milk soap and lotion. And so she said, listen, I can't lend you my goats because they are organic. And once they leave the property and come back, they wouldn't be organic anymore. But why don't you buy the ones that are done milking or are injured or don't have a purpose on my farm anymore and and you can do it. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right. Like I've never even been around to go, but I became very sort of obsessed with the concept and I decided to try it. So we, I actually borrowed the goats for our first pilot project and it was so successful that we ended up being booked for that first season immediately and bought the goats bought many more goats and ended up leaving my job one year later. And we've, we're now entering our third season. We literally cannot meet the need. So we have so many requests. We just can't fill them. So that's why we need to grow. So did you move out to the country to house all the goats or do you, are they boarded somewhere else? So our goats are boarded a farm that we buy them from Alpine Made. It's a beautiful, idyllic scene. It's an organic farm. The land there hasn't been touched by any kind of chemical for 10 plus years. So they're even just, you know, on this nice idyllic, you know, land at home. And then we're able to take them out on jobs from there. So how do the goats know what to eat, what not to eat? Or do they eat just mow through everything? It's so funny you should ask because a lot of people assume that goats will eat anything, including things like tin cans or garbage, and that's a myth. However, they are going to be drawn to anything that's living and green that they can get access to. So we fence around things that we want them to eat and we exclude things that they should not be eating. There are some things that are not healthy for them to eat. What I find is that if goats are eating in an area where they were raised, they know what the local toxic plants are. So when we're in Western New York, they understand what to eat, not to eat. When we travel farther out, I need to take a look at the area before they go in and take a look for anything that might be growing there that they shouldn't have. And then we either. How did you know that? A lot of research, Vidya, a lot of Googling and learning the, the history of plants and understanding what might grow in a region. So there's different zones where there's different types of plants that can survive in an area. Then any goat herder or goatscaper would need to become very educated on what those plants would be. So say I'm a landowner and I have about an acre of land which is overgrown. How long will it take for your goats to go through it? So when we take a look at assessing a job, the size of the area is important, but so is the density of the plants that are there and also the type of plant because one plant might be very, very solid and woody and one might be very watery and can be eaten very quickly. So we can kind of get a feel for that. Depending on the density, an acre we could do in about two weeks, depending on how many goats we brought in as well. So we kind of judge what is, what's the goal of the landowner? What is the life cycle of that plant? What's the best way to take that plant down so that we're interrupting its regrowth cycle? And then we would give U.S. landowner an estimate for the amount of time we're going to be there and cost as well. Say I decided to use traditional methods, not chemicals, but I wanted to be chemical free. Say I decided to pull it out or use some other implements or... Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're going to pull it out by hand, it's going to take a lot longer than the goats. (laughs) So most people would not try that. Um, If you're looking at heavy equipment, that is a lot faster. So we don't argue with that. We know that someone can come in with a brush hog or come in with a tractor and bowl over everything that's there. We, We get that. The problem with invasive plants is when You do that oftentimes when we mow or strim or come through with some sort of heavy equipment, we're actually replanting more of that plant as we go. Whereas when the goats eat that top growth, 
they actually sterilize what they're eating and it can't regrow from their waste. So they're sterilizing the problem plant and then they're leaving behind a rich fertilizer for that soil so that the plants that you do want have a chance to compete and come back and empower that plant out the next season. The other issue with heavy equipment is that we're, we, we go through an area with heavy equipment, you're actually causing more of a scar on the planet, right? So you've disrupted that soil system with this equipment. And nature has a funny way of kind of scabbing over those areas, just like our bodies do. And what will come in is going to be an invasive plant because that's going to be the thing that can root the quickest, root the deepest, be the hardiest. So a lot of times we think we're mitigating a problem, but we're actually causing more of a problem. Not to mention the fact that you're bulldozing through bees' nests and you're you know, running over toads and small mammals and baby deer. When the goats go through the area, they actually allow those things to get out of the way and they eat around birds' nests and cocoons and things like that. So they're doing the work of removal without causing permanent damage to the ecosystem. So how much would it cost me for this project? So it depends on how long we would be there. So we time it right now by weeks. So we we would say to you, okay, Vidya, I know this plant and I know how much air you have. We're going to be here for one week. And if your property is private and we're not public facing, meaning we don't have to deal with visitors at a park, we are not dealing with, you know, a lot of dogs walking by or people walking by, it's $1,500 for the week. And we can generally get a quarter of an acre done at the least in that week, which is going to then be competitive with your typical landscape jobs that would come in. So it's a competitive price. And then if we're in a public facing situation, we go up from there because we're going to use extra fencing. We have extra security. We do extra staffing and we end up pretty much engaging the public the entire time we're there. So it's kind of like a second job. So how did you know how to price it? It was kind of talking to the market and talking to understanding what people were paying their landscapers, understanding what people were willing to pay to to make sure that we're sustainable, but that it's also feasible for a family to engage in because it's great to have green choices, but if your family can't afford it, it's just not accessible. One of the things that we will do if our base rate is not accessible to a family is work on what we call a co-op model. So Perhaps you've got a group of kids in the family or maybe somebody who is working at home who wants to observe the ghost during the day so that we don't have to have a herder on site. Maybe they want to bring out water and check fences for us. In that case, we would prorate and we would take our rate down um, daily according to the help that they were willing to give. And we can't do that on every job and stay sustainable, but we do it as much as we can. Do the goats get a balanced meal with eating all those different things uh, or do you have to supplement their meals to to make sure they stay healthy. Yeah. So one of the things that I really like about this practice for the goats is that they're doing what they would normally do. So ruminants are browsers. They like to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And goats understand much more intuitively than we might what they need in their diet. So you'll see a goat go after certain barks if they are needing some sort of nutrient or, or vitamin that is in that bark or in that plant. So having this diverse diet is much healthier for a goat. If you think about it, a goat would never be in the conditions that we put them on for production farming. They would never be kept in a stall and they wouldn't be eating dried and treated hay, right? They would be out in the wild and they'd be taking a little bit off of this bush and maybe eating some weeds over here. So goatscaping actually mimics what they would naturally be experiencing out in the wild. And I love that for them as much as I love what they're doing for us. So do you have different breeds of goats or... We use primarily alpine goats because the farm that we 
take them from is an alpine-based farm, and they're a large breed of goat. We have a couple of Sanans mixed in there. There are lots of different types of goats. So people often think of the little baby ones, or they think of the ones that tip over and faint, which are called fainting goats. We don't have any of those. They, they would be, you know, not quite as focused on the job, I don't think. so. <laughs> but we use quite large goats because, frankly, they eat more. And I also have this wonderful relationship where we're taking these goats from from the farm where they would not be kept. So the, all the animals that we use are rescued animals. And by rescued, we simply mean that they have some sort of condition, either age, or maybe they've been bred too many times, or they have some sort of injury or illness that makes them not viable for traditional farming. And farming is such small margins that farmers cannot keep animals unless they're producing for them. So we're able to take those animals that are not able to produce and adopt them into our herd and let them live this nice retirement of eating and hanging out and, and helping humans. They say it needs a village to make something happen. So you have Alpine made and you take their goats, which they don't want to send to the slaughterhouse or don't want to put away. And then you have the city, which is giving you all this different barren lands to mow on. And all of that comes together to make your business. Yes, it's been such a community effort. And I, I feel like I want to scream that from the rooftops because I'm just one person. I'm a single parent. I had this full-time job. This was not something that was done alone. There were so many conservation agencies and our city park systems, um, a group called Leadership Buffalo, which was instrumental in volunteering and helping me with different levels of expertise in marketing and in financial planning and things like that. So many people came together and not only believed in me, but believed in the goats and what they could do. And you can tell that people care. They want to slow down. They want to do something different. And I've just been blown away by how people have come together. Another way that we've been so supported is with people sponsoring our goats. So on our website, every goat has a story and you can understand how did they come to us? Why are they with us instead of you know, living their farm life, why are they a rescue? And people can sponsor them and get updates from them every couple of months and understand where they are, what they're doing. And that financial support helps us maintain excellent veterinary care, the best housing at home for them. So it's just been a really beautiful, cohesive effort all across the board. It's been amazing. And another affirmation is how I built it awarded you, <laughs> made you a How I Built It fellow. That's amazing. Yeah. So I was selected as one of the 10 2021 How I Built This fellows. And many podcast listeners may be familiar with the How I Built This podcast with Guy Raz. And I had been listening to that podcast for a really long time. Because when you're starting something new, it's really important to hear the stories of other entrepreneurs and how they got where they are, or else it could be it can be really hard to believe that you can do it. So that podcast was so meaningful for me. And I, I applied to the fellowship really honestly thinking, well, there's no chance because I'm so small and we're so new. And when I was selected, I have to tell you, it was just amazing. And the NPR team all across the board, Guy Raz was awesome, but NPR put together this incredible network of mentors and speakers that helped myself and my fellows through this process of kind of really building an intentional, diverse 
high value, culturally aware business versus just, okay, how do we look at the bottom line? It was such a rounding experience that helped me. I will think different about my business forever moving forward. So it was an incredible experience. I encourage any entrepreneur that's working on something that's environmentally focused or socially focused to check out the fellowship, to check out the summits that they've recorded over the past couple of years. And of course, to apply yourself because you just never know what doors are going to open for you. So it had a monetary award along with the mentorship? Yeah. So we all went through and we pitched for a $50,000 award. There's a company called Chesi that received that award. And Toby was one of my fellows and he is working on an application to help people understand how they're going to experience an employer from different levels of intersectionality. So it's really a, an effort toward diversity and inclusion in the workplace, which is amazing, very well-deserved. But honestly, all of us went into that pitch understanding that there was, there was no way for anybody to lose because we all have become so bonded. We've received so much mentoring and networking through the experience. And every one of the efforts was something that was social or environmentally driven. So we knew that no matter where that money went, it was going to be changing something for the better. So we all really won. We all really won by being selected. It was just incredible. So you, the 10 of you got selected to become a fellow and one of you pitched and got the monetary award. But even just uh, as a small business to be able to get those connections to brand yourself, to how to take your business forward is really, really valuable. Yeah, it's been incredible. And for me, we're at this stage at Let's Go Buffalo where we have to grow. So we have to expand. We have to take on new cities because we are not meeting need. There's so many requests for goatscaping and we can't fill it. So we're growing very, very quickly. We're taking on investors and we're kind of structuring our company to expand. And understanding how to do that deliberately is so, so helpful and getting some different perspectives because I know what I know, but I don't know what I don't know. And so a lot of what the fellowship did for me was kind of turn lights on in different areas that were that say, Hey, you know what? You need this kind of connection and kind of teach you how to deliberately build a team. How big is your team right now? Right now it's relatively small. So I have one full-time herder. Every herd that we will take on brings on a new herder myself. And then I have an advisory team of about seven people that work with me and they're all from different areas of expertise. So that helps me kind of build from the inside out as we're building our infrastructure, making sure that we have that expertise built in. You talked about franchising. So Mm -hmm. what would the different components that you need to make it a viable option? So say I was opening a McDonald's franchise. I I probably will open it kitty corner to Starbucks or, you know, like somewhere like that. You know, I have all these other pieces which have to fall in place for me to be able to be successful at that location. What would you need? You'd need, because not everywhere are you going to be able to find goats, right? Um, You'd be surprised. So I thought that as well. (laughs) And then it's kind of like when you know someone that drives a certain kind of car and then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. I now see goats everywhere. So believe it or not, they're actually very popular. And so that's not usually an issue depending on where you live. So the goats are not not necessarily the issue. And part of what we are trying to do with the franchise model from Let's Go Buffalo is to make this not farm-centric. We want folks that are living in urban and suburban environments to be able to live in their urban and suburban environments and still access this agricultural career and this community-based grazing. 
And the model will follow very similarly to what I do, which is matching up with a farm who may have these animals that are in need of a space to go and building that relationship, which is something we help our franchisees do. They're able to brand under us. They're able to um, get support with the insurances and then also the equipment, outfitting the bus, fencing, everything that they need to know is something that we will counsel on and consult on. And you know, for me, one of the most important things is to open up this opportunity to be in agriculture, to understand the systems of animals and plants and soil and humans and how those all interconnect. Because when we're living in these fast-paced environments, and particularly when we're in urban and suburban environments, we lose a lot of knowledge of how that works and why it's important. And so I think it's really important to make sure that our herders and our grazers are people that live in the communities that they serve. So we want to make that really easy for people to participate in. So would there be a let's sheep? Um, <laughs> buffalo to mow my lawn? I know, right? <laughs> so a lot of people ask us about sheep. Um, I'm partial to goats. Sheep are very good at eating like low grasses. So if you want a manicured lawn, sheep would not be a bad idea. I've I'm sure it's a personal thing. I find goats to be a lot more fun personality wise. So I'm going to stick with goats, but I think, Hey, if you want, if you want to do it, you should go for it. (laughs) Yeah. But also like if you have hilly areas, so like Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, you've got a lot of Hills and goats are really beneficial because there is a lot of equipment that just can't go on hillsides. So they're really good at that too. But yeah, you could definitely do a let's go Philadelphia. I could see it. On that uplifting note, uh, Jennifer, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe and listen to us on your favorite podcast listening app. Remember to rate and review us. To learn more about this and our other episodes, check out our website, mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. If you learned a thing or two on this episode, share it with one friend. This is Vidya Iyer with Mindful Businesses.